Your home is your place of peace. It's clean. It's welcoming. <sighs> and it's definitely not crawling with invading insects if you use Ortho Home Defense Max. Use it indoors on non-porous surfaces to treat and prevent cockroaches, spiders, and ants for up to 12 months. So your home can stay your place of peace, your work-from-home office, and your family's headquarters. Kill bugs inside, keep bugs outside, and love your home. Visit ortho.com for more. Well, hello, hello. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. This is exciting. It's very exciting. A really good episode today. 94 meetings, uh, Parks and Recollection with me and Alan Yang. Are, I, this is a good episode, don't you think? Absolutely. Rolo, how you doing today? Great episode. Really enjoyed watching. You know what this episode reminded me of? Um, it reminds me of an episode we used to do every year on the West Wing called Big Block of Cheese Week. Yeah, absolutely. That was a show we talked about in the in the writers' room a lot. Kind of a comedy version of the West Wing, and and uh, Mike was a big fan and of Aaron Sorkin, and and uh, the, we talked about that all the time in the writers' room. Should we get into the info of the episode? And we got we had yeah. a lovely guest with us today. Oh, I know it's just so exciting. I mean, so many surprises. Don't everybody you're gonna love this? Here we go. Let's do it. All right. So quick episode details. As Rollo said, this episode is called Ninety Four Meetings, written by Harris Whittles. Directed by Tristram Shapiro. Original air date, April 29th, 2010, episode 21, season two. And we're very excited. We have an amazing guest today, Susan Yagley from Reno 911, Kerber Enthusiasm, and of course, Jessica Wicks. How are you, Susan? I'm great. I'm great. How are you guys? We are so excited to have you. It's And and with no Southern, I don't think I've ever heard you without your... Without your um, Southern accent that you use for your well, character. yeah, that's my acting range is forty year old woman with a Southern accent to fifty year old woman with a Southern accent. <laughs> yeah, that's my good. that's my sweet jam a right true there. True chameleon is mm-hmm. is, is like Jared Leto is like transformational. <laughs> like, I'm Meryl Streep, you guys. I am Susan. You want to read this quick blurb for us? A summary of the episode, just a couple sentences. Here we go. Leslie goes all out to save a gazebo at a mansion on the historical register from being destroyed. While April gets in trouble with Ron when she accidentally schedules 93 meetings for him on the same day, y'all. Lovely, lovely. See, I'm never going to match that. And when I have to read them in the future, I'm never going to match that. That's wonderful. And also keep in mind, she said 93 meetings. We'll get to why it's called 94 meetings in a second. Um, So great to have you, Susan. Uh, You know, how are you doing? Everything good? Yeah, everything is great. Yes, I, I'm the parent of a 15-year-old who does Ron Swanson impersonation, so he's he's so into this show. And Ron has to be his favorite. I feel like 15-year-old boy is the perfect demo for Ron's, <laughs> Ronald Swanson. Yes, because they can get their eyebrow jacked up just like him, so yeah. Mm. <laughs> I love that you guys are doing a rewatch of the show. So we're yeah. going to talk to Susan a lot more. We're going to actually start with this really quick segment called Nope's Notes. I like to spell it notes, K-N-O-T-E-S. And this is just a couple of fast facts about the episode. Roll, are you excited about this? I'm, I'm super excited. We open up one of Leslie's colorful Trapper Keepers, hit you with some quick fun facts. 
So some episodes recorded out of order, but just to let you know, we hear you fans. We want to bring some info to you as soon as possible and as soon as possible in the show. So just really quickly, this is the second episode where Andy pretends to be FBI agent Burt Macklin. Yay, Burt Macklin! Second appearance. Yeah, first episode, obviously, Greg, Greg Pekaitis. This is Susan, our guest, second appearance on Parks. Do you know what the first appearance was, Rollo? Uh, let me think. Let me think. I'm going to guess it was, um, well, beauty pageant. Beauty pageant. That's right. Because it's mentioned. She actually (laughs) mentions it. I haven't (laughs) seen you, Leslie, since (laughs) the beauty pageant where Leslie was a stick in the mud judge, I believe. That's right. That's right. And this is and the last Nope's note here. This is the first appearance of April's parents, Larry and Rita Ludgate, and her sister, Natalie Ludgate. So that's some quick facts to hit you with. Nope's notes. Now, Alan, is it, is it also... The only appearance of April Ludgate's... I don't remember a ton of April's family, and I wish there had been more, because they're so funny in this episode. I, they're really funny. It was a funny idea, uh, and and I think... I believe we see your sister again. Is that right, Greg? Yeah, we see your sister, and I'm pretty sure we see her parents again at the wedding. Um, spoiler, they're going to get married. Ah, the good... good Spoiler alert for people who are... <laughs> we won't say oh, who gosh. she gets married to. She gets married to Ron. No. <laughs> uh, so that was Nope's Notes. Let's talk to Susan a little bit and t- tell us a little bit, uh, you know, what led up to, to, to you joining Parks and, and you know, everything. general general chat. General chat yeah, about, great know. question. So I was just called in for one episode, the beauty pageant episode. And I thought, this sounds great. Had a blast. Got called back for another one and then another one, another one. So it sort of snowballed. When you come into a show like Parks and it's an ensemble that's been together for a while and working on it, um, do you find that it's that's the good news or that's the bad news? In other words, it's the good news because they know what they're doing and it's kind of set and everybody's in their rhythm and you can figure out where you fit in. Or is it like, holy shit, this is really ha- these people are so dialed in and I got to, you know, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I know is exactly it- what you're saying. Cause I felt that way on friends going in when friends was, you know, season four or five and they're in their sweet jam and yeah. they're on every cover of every magazine. And so that was, uh, that was where I, I was so nervous. I wrote my lines on sweet and low packets at the <laughs> coffee house and, and on equal packets and just kept looking at the sugar bowl. Um, cause I was really nervous, but, um, cause that was a sitcom situation, but with single cam, there's something about parks. I was felt very relaxed, always being a journeyman actor. I'm just grateful to be working. I was really happy to have the job and everybody was so kind. I love that it had the improv, um, openness too. So, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely more chill than most shows I've ever done as a guest star. Everybody was just relaxed and it had a folksiness to it. Um, it really yeah. it's only been the past couple of years where this this it took off this fever where all the kids my son's age are watching it and quoting it um and it's quite extraordinary to watch that's awesome and i like to think that it was just a good vibe set you know great it, vibe it, it really, set it's just Chill. like a good good vibe set and, and i think that goes a long way i really try to do that on all on all the shows that i work on is it, just like let's not no yelling and screaming comedy doesn't live best when people are just really really nervous or, or tense so so yeah and did you get your start in comedy and improv, or what, how did you go about uh, getting into acting? Yeah, I I got my start. Um, I graduated from college and went to see a show with the Groundlings and fell head over heels in love with the Groundlings and joined um, that company and took classes there and performed there. And then from that, got an agent and started working. Um, so that's really my – I cut my teeth in improv and sketch comedy. We can tell. Do you have a very funny household? I mean, it's two very funny people. Is your son funny? <laughs> it's, it's like, He's the, our son is the funniest one. 
Oh, there you I go. Think he's, really? He's it could have really... gone either way. Because like, you wow. want to rebel against your parents. you got two comedian parents. Like, I'm going to be serious. I'm going to have a serious an emo band. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be an accountant or like, I'm going to get me, I'm going to like, you know, make a, make a band or something. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is we, we thought, oh, well, of course we're going to love whatever we have, but we said, I really hope he's not real serious because we just, that would be really hard to be with someone who doesn't laugh. Um, but luckily he's a nutball, just a nutball. So it's good. Did they? Did you have any um, relationship with any anybody involved in the show? Did they know you from anywhere else, or it was just a the usual Hollywood phone call thing? Yeah, I had been called in two or three times for the office. So I don't know if it was a Greg connection or if it was a casting director director connection, but somehow the beauty pageant thing landed in my lap, gratefully. And I have to say, I loved a Naomi Wolf reference. Yes. I loved right? the beauty myth was in there. That made me really happy because I, re- <laughs> I read that book in school. So I was really excited that uh, that was in that script. Um, yeah. Sitting in that auditorium and watching the girl not twirl the baton, but just hold it. <laughs> <laughs> so great. And I loved that you guys allowed me to improvise. Um, they asked what my special skill was back in 1993 when I won Miss Pawnee. And I just blurted out, um, I packed a suitcase. That's a, actually an awesome joke. I remember that joke. It's a great joke. Because in the 1950s, it was a real special talent that someone actually came out on stage in the 1950s at a beauty pageant. Because I asked someone about this who used to be in pageants. And the lady threw a suitcase out and started packing it. Her panties and triangles and her blouses and her socks and showed how to pack an economical suitcase for travel. <laughs> and that was her That was her talent. So I thought, well, that's got to be Jessica Wicks, too. Yeah, it's just so evocative. And it's also so so perfectly encapsulates Pawnee. And it, it, that's amazing because it's the first time you were on the show, but it's just, it, it, it's like a perfect answer and really funny too. And why Leslie would hate her. Leslie would hate <laughs> that that is what a woman's choice was for a talent yeah. competition, right? Yeah, it's absolutely antithetical to who Leslie Nope is. That, that's great. I have a question. Would you rather play a comedic villain or a comedic hero? I mean, because it's so interesting because Leslie Nope is is one of the, I mean, and Amy is so amazing at it, but she's this, she's the heroic, lovable you, and but she manages to be funnier than any person on the planet, and yet I always kind of feel that her comic villains can almost get more laughs. Do you have a a sense of which you prefer? Villain all day long. It's a hundred yeah. to zero slam dunk villain. When I did the Wizard of Oz, when I was in what seventh grade, mm-hmm. I was the Wicked Witch of the West because I said Dorothy doesn't have an edge. She doesn't. She has those shoes. But I want to be mean. I want to have an edge. Um, and that's what you guys so beautifully wrote about with Jessica. I mean, she she's a nightmare. It's, it's just so much more fun, right? It's like, would you rather play the Joker or Batman? It's like, Joker wins the Oscars every year, man. It's like, every year. It's like, but by the way, where, where are we as a society when, like, if you play the Joker, you'll win an Oscar? Like, what are we doing as a society? Everyone who plays the Joker wins an Oscar? That's insane. That's that's our modern mythology? <laughs> it's our Hamlet. Yeah, it's our, yeah, it's it's our, Hamlet. It's our Hamlet. That's it right. Is. I love that um, in any show, but particularly in Parks, Everybody always did such a good job of finding people. It's in theory for one part, but they kill it and they're, they figure out ways to bring them back as, as often as they can to build out that world. I, I, I love that. And I think that, that uh, Mike and Greg did, always did such a great version of that. I wish we'd done more like town stuff, like where you literally see, I mean, there are definitely episodes and 
Freddy Spaghetti's coming up. That's a big one where you see everybody. But I, I love when you see everybody in the town. Yeah, building out that world. You know, we talk a lot about the world being kind of like Springfield. You know, Pawnee kind of being this town like Springfield and The Simpsons where you see all these characters. And and uh, Jessica Wicks is a huge part of that. And just a little behind-the-scenes info of how Susan's character kind of got bigger and bigger over the over time. You know, we had this family called the Newport family. And, and they were kind of the, I don't know, like kind of the rich family in town, like the Kennedys of Pawnee. Or like, they're very corrupt. <laughs> so, so they're kind of the rich families. And we wanted to build build it out and so we're like why we love Susan on the show we thought she did a great job and you know it was kind of like well let's make her part of that family so she can keep coming back over and over again and you know they're very influential in the town so it was very easy to sort of write her into stories and so that's why you see her recur over and over again because when you find an actor you like you keep putting him in the show so that's how so that's how the sausage gets made in that respect well I can't thank you enough and you had me at that she ran a school called walk wave and smile that was the name of her school <laughs> that she ran in Pawnee. Um, Miss Pawnee, 1993. That's all I needed to know. It's okay. hard. I, I knew who that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm from Tennessee, so I know that world. Did you did you have a hand in casting your own leading man, the old man? Or did they, was that the, you didn't have any say in that, probably. I had zero say in that. I, I had no say in that. Alan, can you speak to that? We're going to go deep on him in a bit for sure. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot <laughs> yeah, of thoughts. me too. I have a lot of me thoughts. too. So we're going to do this thing where we kind of we kind of go through, you know, scene by scene the episode and we just talk about the story and we'll chat. Uh, we'll kind of do a chat about each section as we go along. So, you know, this first part of the episode, in an effort to keep citizens from meeting with Ron, April has scheduled all meetings for a date she didn't think existed. March 31st. Ron is now faced with 93 meetings in a single day. He enlists the aid of April, Andy, Leslie, and Anne to help handle them while telling Jerry that he's free to go home early for the day. <laughs> so as you were saying, Rob, you know, as we started the episode with uh, the concept of 94 meetings, it was kind of inspired by the West Wing in some ways, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big big block of cheese day. Uh, West Wing is a fan favorite, and it is inspired by, um, Jesus, what president? Well, I, I want to say it was, is it Teddy Roosevelt? But he would put a big block of cheese in the West Wing and invite the citizens to come and sample the cheese and air any grievances that they have. So it was basically an open house town hall in the actual West Wing. So it was meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And we did an iteration of that where it was every cast member, like um, this episode of Parks, having to sort of suffer through, you know, people's grievances. Exactly. Um, We're getting a note now from, from producer Schulte. Andrew Jackson was, Andrew the, Jackson. was the president. Legendary. I was going to say Trump, but it's Jackson. Good to <laughs> yes. know. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. A, a different... Old Hickory. <laughs> yes. Old Hickory, as they called him. Um, and, and you know, I think when you watch the episode, you'll see why I think we were so attracted to the idea as writers, because you just get this joke bag, right? You, you get the townspeople, like Rob said, and you get to see all these characters handle them in their own ways, right? So you see Ron handle them, you see April handle them, you see Andy handle them, and then you see Rashida, obviously, uh, treating all the people's medical conditions. But it's kind of like, you know, you, 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 you like these episodes where you get to see each character kind of bring out their own specific characteristics. And, and so that, that was a good joke bag idea, I think, for this episode to set up. This is a very exciting moment in the history of this podcast because I'm going to take a crack at a synopsis. Right Please now. do. Please okay. do. Okay. So this is, uh, I, I mean, the pressure's huge. <laughs> um, later, Leslie learns a historic town monument, the Turnbull Mansion, is to be altered by its renter. Hello. The former Miss Pawnee beauty pageant winner, Jessica Wicks. 
Leslie and Tom meet her at the mansion where Jessica is planning a birthday party for her extremely <laughs> old husband, the wealthy Nick Newport Sr., played by Christopher Murray, previously seen in the episode Sweetums. Leslie's shocked that Jessica has already altered the mansion, like putting in nude portraits of herself and her husband and painting the original hardwood floors black. Not the hardwood floors, <laughs> but her outrage skyrockets when Jessica reveals her plan to demolish the old gazebo. And it's important to note that the gazebo held an important historical meeting where a Pawnee white woman and a Native American man were married. Of course, when the townspeople found out, there was a bloodbath. <laughs> this has my single favorite sight gag in the history of the show with Leslie chaining herself. Oh, yes. To the gate to prevent the bulldozer from coming in. It's absolutely so dumb and absolutely genius. <laughs> We got to talk about this other side gag mm -hmm. too, which is the nude portraits of you. Like, did oh. you know about this? Like, did you know about this? Uh, well, they they called me in and said the art department would like to meet with you, and um, I said great. And I think I went in maybe an hour or two before call time. You know, I had on jeans and a. a a flannel shirt when they did that. So there was no, they were just, they, they were guessing. I said, just make it flattering. And, and I just turned kind of halfway sideways like that. So, um, and they drew me and they put it up and I love that they did, uh, my husband in a wheelchair. I've never seen a nude picture of a man in a wheelchair before. So kudos to the art department. Did you ask for your own portrait? I would have said, can I please have it when it's done? Guys, Christmas is coming early for you today. Okay. Oh my God! <gasps> no way! No way! Oh no my! For there it <laughs> for is. For those of you not watching the feed, she has the portrait of her her own nude portrait behind her, and she just tilted the camera yeah, to reveal that there it, it's, it is. it's in your house. That has gone to three homes. It has been through storage. It has been in the garage. It's been bubble wrapped, but it is here, and I got it out of the garage for today. I'm so happy. How does your 15-year-old son feel? I'm sure he's a big fan of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing that's bubble wrapped and hid in the garage next to the ping pong table because I don't, you know, I don't want him yeah. or his friends to see it. Um, and and Kev said to me, my husband said, do you want to just take a photo of it before we move? And that way we don't have to move it because it's it's six feet. Um, I said, <laughs> well, six feet. it is six feet. And he said, you can take a photo and we can enjoy things. That's our new cleaning out clutter thing. Let's take a photo of the baby crib. We don't need to take the crib. Um, I said, you know what? For some reason, when I'm 95 and living in New York, I would love this in my bathroom. So I need to mm -hmm. keep it. Um, yes. So it made the cut. And here it is. And um, yeah. And when uh, Parks wrapped, the art department called me and said, look, we have this naked picture of you laying around. And what what would you like? Would you like it? I said, okay, sure, I'll take it. So did did you take the picture of your naked eighty five year old husband in a wheelchair as well? Not at all. No, okay. <laughs> Not at all. Very considerate of the props department. Also, like Gabe Perillo, who we had on as guest, like she's always thinking about that stuff. So that's awesome that you have it. Also, for those of you who don't know, Susan is is married to the very talented comedic actor Kevin Nealon, and uh, it's very funny to imagine him uh, discussing this portrait with you over and over again with every move. <laughs> Every move, <laughs> over and over again. But I'm so glad you have. It. I mean, it's it's 
I mean, that's that that to me smacks of this whole this whole joke run. I mean, it reminds me of stuff that Dan Gore used to pitch. He always was obsessed with pitching, you know, like older people jokes, for lack of a better <laughs> word. And so it makes me feel like he pitched this stuff. But I, you know, who knows? But it, it really feels like he's one of the writers on the show. Yeah, I think this, you know, we'll always take Kevin's Hans and Franz stuff with us no matter where we go. And we're <laughs> yes. going to take this Jessica with us. So that's just how it is, guys. That's Absolutely. good. Yeah. And I, I'm seeing now these portraits did come back in season five. So yeah, the, they the props did. department held on to them for th- three more seasons. And they they appear in the correspondence lunch in Ben Wyatt's new office at the Sweetums Foundation charity office. So God. it is amazing, you know. For for folks who don't who haven't ever been on a movie set or a TV set to think about every single thing you see is a prop, um, every glass, every paperclip, every picture, every any everything, and it has to be saved because I mean it's kind of like a hoarder's. You'd have to have like a little bit of hoarder in you to be a great prop person. It, it, you have to be. <laughs> yeah, you you go. They have a truck with like everything in, in, in you could ever think of on it. Like it's like I need this, you know I need. Fishing pole. Yes, I, I need a deck yeah. of Uno cards. It's like, I got it. It's like, what? This is insane. Yeah, like, I need a turquoise re- wedding ring at three o'clock. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's just in your truck. It's so it's so fascinating. Um, so did you get to know, I mean, you, you were on Parks f- several times. Did you start to get to know the cast better? And like, yeah. you know, did you enjoy yourself? I hope. I was, so, I loved it. I was so impressed with Amy, but most of my scenes, I didn't have any scenes with Rob, unfortunately. Um, yeah. but, um, with Amy, I mean, she's a Jedi. She was incredible. She was pregnant and w- talking to the director and then going upstairs and helping to write the next season's episode. And then they'd give her two pages of dialogue. She had to learn in 20 minutes. I mean, I was watching her. She was an astronaut. It was just, she was incredible that, that's um, a great way of referring to her and, and you know the number one on the call sheet is what we call it when you're kind of the lead of the show and, and and everyone takes their cues from the number one so polar was such a great fearless leader and and such a great attitude she brought such good energy to the set and on top of that yeah you mentioned she's pregnant in this episode yeah she's pregnant get chained mm-hmm. to that gate she's pregnant and just shooting the show so so kudos to amy man she really rocked it in this one yeah she's she was fantastic i learned so much from her did, what did you learn from Christopher Murray, your 85-year-old man in a wheelchair? <laughs> what lessons you, did you impart to you? Do you know that was age? That was, they aged him, right? Aged he was him. Young. Oh, I know. That's Super right. old. So, I know. So that's why that, I, we, we wanted to get it. We, we saved it till now. But if you, I mean, look, if you watch this episode, we got high def now. We got like, like the dude is like, the dude is like 50. He's like, we, we aged. Why? I don't know why we did that. Why did why we, did we do that? Why, why did we just cast someone who's actually 80? I don't it's know. So I, I did think it at the time I looked at him, I thought, oh my gosh, he's maybe two years younger than I am. Um, but he was in that, that aging makeup. I wasn't quite clear if that was part of the joke was to do that. Right. There was eyeliner in their cheeks and his cheeks. I could see black eyeliner and gray eyeliner just to make him look hollowed out oh man oh my favorite was that i thought at the at the end the the very last time you see him i thought oh he's he's dead i thought he he i thought there was going to be a joke where he he died at his own party because he a lot of times he didn't even move he made me laugh he was really funny I'm really sh- funny. Yes, I'm sure it was discussed. Certainly, yes, Biscuit. I believe the, a lot of the episode was built around the joke Biscuit when he says that. Um, all right, let's move on with a little bit of the synopsis. Meanwhile, Ron and the rest of the Parks Department trudge on with the meetings. April acts as uninterested as possible. Andy makes promises to people against Ron's wishes. And Anne provides several medical consults. Um, Can you imagine? It- it's probably so true. 
that everybody who's a nurse has to deal with every single person's like, will you look at this blackhead? I think it's infected. It's got to be so <laughs> gross. And it's so genius. Like the very first person is that guy pulling his shirt up to show some boy. It's like, and she, and she has that great look to the camera. She every time. Mm-hmm. Super funny. Yeah. And we it really like watching this made me remember just being in the writer's room and just, you know, it's basically a joke bag. You're pitching jokes for all these characters and how they'll handle this situation. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just really fun. It, remind, it just reminded me of all the different writers pitching for all their favorite characters. I don't know. Greg, you remember, do you remember this stuff? I remember us talking about the fact that very quickly this idea activates everybody. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing that it's, yes, it's a great setup. But with one line from Ron saying, you're going to help me do meetings, we didn't have to over-explain anything. And everybody got to be the best version of their comedy character. And it mm. dealt with the, the Anne of it all that we had sometimes, right? Which was like, well, why is Anne here? And it was actually, she's becoming more of a family member to these people than just a person in the town. And so she's like, gets to be there, gets to help out, but can't, can't escape the nurse part of it all, which I think is so smart. Yeah, it's it's funny how in the life of a TV series, you know, really, really smart people will create a world and then realize that they've boxed themselves into a really problematic issue. The fact that Ann Perkins is a nurse and the truth is nobody really gives a shit. They don't want to go to the hospital with Ann Perkins. They don't. No, no. And we built and yet you've got a we budgeted and had to build a nurse's a whole hospital set for Ann Perkins because she's a nurse and it's like you're like you wish you had that do-over when you were figuring stuff out and and I think that you're lucky if you're on a show where you only have one of those issues where you go why did we make that person in the space station we didn't (laughs) need to do that or whatever but uh, because it's so funny how quickly we really pivot away from Ann like doing an episode of ER in yes. the middle of Parks and Recreation. <laughs> Let's not talk about her job. Let's just have her sitting in the Parks Department reading a newspaper, always. Yes. <laughs> just visiting. <laughs> just hanging out with seeing your friend. And at the end of the day, everybody goes to such pains. It's like, well, why does she do it? It's like, no one cares. No one cares. Just put Ann there. No one's going to go, I thought she was a nurse. She should be a thought. Nobody cares. It's like, they love Ann Perkins. They want her to be funny and they want her to be on the show and the show takes place in the Parks Department and that's why she's there. End of subject. Yeah, Susan, in your rewatches with your son, he's never like, but what is Anne's job? <laughs> he's like, no, <laughs> he's just laughing. All. Not at all. But he said, hey, what, what, what should I do about that freckle on my forehead, you know? <laughs> uh, I have a question. Well, who did you think um, had the most fun meetings with, with the townies? I kind of liked Andy wanting to say yes to everybody. He, was, he told, don't say yes to anything. And of course, he says, they got to fix the swing set. Seems like an easy fix. I, I can do that. And he's he's like, hinting and winking i love when he boops the lady on the nose always remember that scene where he boops the lady on the nose physical comedy boop (laughs) do you think that was in the script the boop do you remember uh i think it was i could be wrong but i don't know if he improvised that or not you're asking me to remember if if that was in the script i was like uh let's say it was let's give ourselves credit that's right i'll protect the actors and i'll say no it was an ad lib that was all chris pratt pulling up the draft here guys and we have to give credit where credit's due in the script from the original draft, Andy makes a circling motion with his hand and touches her nose, saying, boop. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, by the way, how was my first uh, crack at this synopsis? Did it's I great. You want to handle this next chunk? There's an next chunk. It's your favorite part of the episode. Uh, pitch. Uh, go ahead and, and read that, Rob. In an effort to thwart the demolition, Leslie chains herself to the front gate. 
Oh my God. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's, well, we'll talk about it. I just, it's amazing. Um, but she messes up. The gate doesn't open from the middle. It swings from the side. Demo crew opens the gate, rolls past her and demolishes the gazebo. Moment of silence for the gazebo. Anne and Mark arrive to free her because you need tools and a pickup truck. You call Mark Brandanowitz. And in a moment of honesty with Tom, Leslie reveals the nature of her anxiety. Mark's intentions to marry Anne. Yes, she wants her friend to be happy, but she used to have feelings for Mark and worries about being single and losing her two friends. Tom tells her not to worry, thus empowering Leslie to crash and ruin Jessica's party, which she promptly does. Um, that the gate thing. It's it's the lowest stakes <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life, and it just it like I think. Aziz's character literally says it, it never gets old. It, it never gets old. And she hits it over and over again. Yeah. And and I, this is one of those moments where I, I actually feel like I remember us talking about, you know, we built a lot of the episode around this stunt, you know, because it was like a, a physical, you know, set piece that you really build the episode around. And and I, I want to say it was some combination of Mike and Dan Gore who who really came up with this stuff and and, and were like, oh, wouldn't it be funny? We, we talked about a lot about, you know, historical preservation and, and how Leslie would be so obsessed with that. And wouldn't it be funny if she strapped herself to something, but it didn't work. And then this whole idea where the gate swings sideways came about. And <laughs> Amy was game to do it, man. She was she was she was game, game to do it over and over again. Susan, were you there at all? Did you see any of this? Um, I well, I was there, but not for that scene. So I was there for, at that. That was in Pasadena where we shot the the mansion. I was going to ask you where that mansion was. Yeah, it, that mansion is such a weird looking. It's like a Tudor. It's <laughs> so bizarre. It looking. was a, t- a dark Tudor Pasadena fortress. Yes, actual fortress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is also a a big appearance of the murals, and in, in in I don't think you can put those murals on TV today. And uh, shout out to uh, Allison Becker, who's also in this episode. She plays Shauna Malway Tweep. Um, we had a lot of fun as writers uh, imagining that Leslie would always talk to reporters in headline form. So th- there's that joke where she says, gazebo, more like a zoinkspo. She may be a former <laughs> beauty queen, but today she's the king of destroying history. It's like, we wrote so many of those. It's like someone talking like a 1920s, like paper boy, basically. Like a, like a, and, and I think, you know, I remember Rachel Axler, one of the writers, and Aisha Muhar loved writing these. And, and you know, we, we wrote probably way too many. And, and, and uh, I think she kept doing that over time. So this is kind of one of the first appearances of this. I'm going to show my age here, but are you? None of you are old enough to remember when Variety. We we have a, in in show business. There's sort of like the New York Times of show business. The paper is called Variety, and it its headlines used to be literally like that. It'd be like uh, Alan Yang ankles staff of uh, Parks and Rec to whatever it was. An- the word ankles was always in there, <laughs> which ankles is in everything. You, Rob, you know there's a publication called The Ankler now. It's like a, it's no. like a, it's like a, it's like a newsletter or something. I've, I've been approached to subscribe to it at some point. So that's, I love those terminologies. Variety would also use like Tyro, whatever that means. You know, all these like antiquated terms, but, but yeah, ankles project means like you leave it, right? Is, and is that what you, it is? They used to have a, um, a, a column literally devoted only to people's travel plans. Which used to make me laugh. <laughs> It would it would be like uh, you know I don't know Ted Sarandos winging in from Gotham, <laughs> winging in from that's so, pretty good. That's pretty I like. Good. I think we should really actively bring bring back, back ankles for God's sake. Ankles, bring yes! back ankles and, and old school, yeah. old school like Bowery Boys type lingo for headlines. Yeah, your story's like Dale Fish. I just won't buy it. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Feels like we should do this. The three of us should start this publication. <laughs> I think we should. I think oh, we should. Man. Okay, so this is another really fun part of the episode. We got to get to this part. Mm-hmm. It's it's near the end. Back in the parks department, the meetings have concluded, and Ron berates April for causing this mess in the first place. So April arranges her own meeting. This is the titular 94th meeting and announces she's quitting. Andy finds out and convinces Ron to keep April, thus revealing a little more of his admiration for her. Ron heads to April's house to bring her back and discovers her incredibly welcoming and nice parents and that her nickname is Zuzu. Despite April's embarrassment over her normal family, Ron convinces April to stay and April reveals that she knows Ron is Duke Silver. The two exchange a look and it's clear they agree to keep each other's secrets. That's a great moment. It's really a great moment. It's really sweet, and you you really buy the kinship between these two characters. They're really uh, they're 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 uh, they're, they're soulmates in some ways. And they're we all know where the the reference from Zuzu is, right? We all know what what that is an homage to. Please enlighten the audience. It is uh, from "It's a Wonderful Life." It is Zuzu's petals. Am I <laughs> pretty sure? Somebody tell me. That is correct, Rob. That is correct. Correct. Yay. <laughs> Uh, that's good. I love the casting of April's sister being even more downtrodden and dark yes. than April. Like a traditional sitcom would never go in that lane. They would have someone perky be the sister, right? This was yes. such a funny way to go to yes. have her so dark. I loved it. Loved and that. and little fun fact behind the scenes fact: Aubrey herself, the Aubrey Plaza who plays April is the eldest of three daughters, and one of her younger sisters is named Natalie. So she, we, we named it after her actual younger sister. So that was kind of cool. And and the good casting, too. She looks like she looks like Aubrey, and it's great. Now, can we talk about, real quick, um, about one of the weirdest moments in the show, which is that when Ron Swanson shows up at the Ludgates' house, they tell him it's, it's a non-shoes household. You shouldn't wear shoes inside. He promptly takes his shoes off and then is holding his shoes in his hands throughout the rest of the scenes there. And it's one of the weirdest things that we we, we, we just, this is one of the, so so basically that was not in the script. And this is one of those moments where Mike Shore, the showrunner, cannot be in three places at once. He cannot edit the show, write the show, and also be on set. So, you know, obviously we have the director of the episode and the writer of the episode is, is generally there. So this is one of the moments when he got this back in the edit and he's like, why is Ron holding his shoes the whole time? And he was, he, he, he like, he was just so confused. And so Harris Whittles, uh, <laughs> the late, great, wonderful, wonderful writer was like, I didn't know. <laughs> like, I, he just chose to do that. And so we're like, Harris, we, it's, so, it's so weird. And Harris was like, well, I don't know, man. And Harris, God bless him, you know, probably had smoked some weed or something and like, didn't, <laughs> like was very, 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 with onset was sometimes not the most attentive writer so he may have not for all we know he didn't even see the see the scene but yeah it was it's one of the every time i see it i laugh well my favorite thing is that's the hill that mike sure wants to die on in terms of what's <laughs> weird in the show yeah that's true that? he, he was so he was appalled he was like why is he holding his shoes <laughs> that's true there's there's a million weirder things in every scene I'm just tickled that Ron shows up at her house because what boss in 2022 is going to show up at your house that breaks so many ethical H&R stuff? I mean, it's just hilarious he shows up. A really caring, caring boss. Yeah. (laughs) Well, next in the synopsis on this episode, um, her first day back, April scares off a citizen wanting to meet with Ron by scheduling truly absurd meeting dates and times such as June 50th on the 11th of March, Temper. Ron gives her an approving smile while nodding from watching from his office. 
and all is well in Pawnee again. Um, it's a sweet episode. It's a super sweet, fully formed episode, I yeah, think. that's what I was going to say, too. And the Ron and April stuff is really sweet. We talked a lot about, you know, after we started getting them together, uh, you know, as sh- her, as his assistant, like, it's kind of like a father-daughter thing, you know? And, and that's a, a lot of the relationships in a workplace show like this end up being, if they're not romantic relationships, a lot of them end up being either paternal or maternal. And, like, it's we talk about the, the coworkers like they're a family, right? And so it makes a lot of sense that Ron would be kind of a good dad figure to, to April, and they have a lot of things in common. So, yeah, it's, it's very touching in the end. I, I really enjoyed that moment. All right, we're going to wrap with a couple uh, tiny little segments here. We got an oops moment. Our oops moment for this one, Kona Gallagher of TV Squad criticized the fact that a historic building could so easily be damaged and demolished, which he called unrealistic. Well, you know what, Kona? <laughs> it's not a documentary. <laughs> That's right. We got we got we got we got we got to have something happen to the thing. We got an additional one is the historic Turnbull Mansion is supposed to date from the early days of 1816. However, the house was built in the Tudor Revival architectural style that was not popular in the United States until the beginning of the 20th century. The home used in the show is in Pasadena, like we said, and built in 1916. We so. just whiffed that. Clearly, that whole thing is a whiff. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Burn the episode. Get yeah. it off of Peacock. Burn <laughs> the episode. It can't air. It, 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 it's, it's totally historically inaccurate. Don't let your son watch this one. <laughs> um, so, what? and Alan, what is your uh, this episode's MVP, most valuable Pawnean? Well, you you're going to know my answer, which is the moment where Ron Swans is holding his shoes because it makes me remember the writer's room. It just makes me think of Harrison and, and I miss that guy. So I, I, I love that moment. Uh, I mean, MVP, it might be the biscuit. It might be the biscuit that's fed Nick Sr. Biscuit. Yes, I think the biscuit has its own blood supply. I, I agree. The biscuit is amazing. Don't they say? Don't they say his blood isn't working? That's right. She says that. Yeah, Susan has that joke. So Jessica Wicks, I met my husband at the hospital when I was doing a ribbon cutting, and he was there because his blood don't work. His blood don't work. That's so well, I gotta his say, blood don't work. First runner up MVP for me is you. Jessica Wicks, great job in the episode. Really, yeah, really that's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you well, so much. And Thanks. of course the. The, the painting. Let's, I yeah, mean, the painting. On. I can't uh, believe you have the painting. I love that, man. I love that. Do you want to go to the town hall? I think you do. Uh, Rob, should we get into the town hall? Close this thing out? We, well, I think it's time. Town hall. What do we got? What, who's on deck here? All where, right. First of all, where are we, we going to do the town hall? You know, we like to have different locations. Yeah. We should hey. do it at the, man, we did the historic Turnbull Mansion. We got to do it at the mansion. We got to do it. Leslie's chained to the gate, but we're opening it anyway. We're going to go do it in front of the gazebo in the mansion. The RIP, the gazebo. Yeah. Um, all right. This town hall question comes to us from Heather V. Hi, Robin Allen. Love the podcast. I'm a big fan of Parks and Rec. I really loved when Robin Adam Scott joined the show because yeah. of the amazing chemistry between the two of them and with the other cast members. If you could do another project with Adam Scott or any other cast member for the show, who would it be and what would it be? P.S. Listening to the podcast episode about season two, episode 12, The Christmas Scandal, you talked about Rolo doing the movies Christmas Shoes and The Christmas Blessing. Just want to say both movies were very good. Both tearjerkers. There you go, Rob. <laughs> they are tearjerkers. They will, they will um, desiccate your body of all fluids from your eye holes. Um... 
I would say I, I love everybody on the show I would work with in a billion times over. Um, Adam Scott is just a particular level of deliciousness, though. I mean, no one. Um, what is the thing that that I always tell Adam that I love so much about? Oh, Adam's good Lord. Yes. Is, is the single <laughs> greatest. Why is it? It's so amazing. Like, it's, I can't. I can never get tired of Adam going, good Lord. It's such a great read on it. It's such a great read. And, and the other thing about Adam is that he can do drama or comedy. You know, he's in this new Ben yes. Stiller show, which, which is like extremely dramatic. And then I don't want to, like so many actors are great in the show. It's it's funny you should say that, Heather, because I actually did a show with Aziz, who's in the show, uh, called Master None. And then uh, I'm actually doing a show right now and Adam's in it that one. So so <laughs> so I am working with Adam again and I've just been editing him and uh, he's he's wonderful in it. Susan, who, who would you pick from the show? Who would you pick? Oh, I'd have to do a love affair with Amy Poehler to mm-hmm. a, a lesbian couple in Paris. Ooh. <laughs> Get on I'd it. Yeah. You guys on it. Yeah, right? On, on the Seine with those boats with all the lights on them yes, that go by the all the light, time. And I think I like... we solve crimes, you guys. I do. Oh, my God. I that sounds solve... great. That's a very imaginative answer. I, uh-huh. you know, I think the title is Crime Solving Lesbians on the Seine. There you go. There you go. Man, it's a, it's it kind of says what it is. Are you a writer? Because you, you should just write that show. <laughs> I know. That's I would wonderful. go see that. I would go see that show. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming and visiting us here on on, on our our little Parks and Recollection Ville. And please give thank Kevin, you. who I adore so deeply, a big smoocheroon. For I me, will. will. He adores you and sends his love. He's the absolute funniest human and nicest man, Aww. and tallest. He's always shockingly tall. He continues to get taller. I think. <laughs> See, he said he's six four, but I measured him when he was sleeping, and he's six five. There you he, go. He's growing by he's the day. Growing. I'm sorry. Yes. He doesn't know me at all, but you can kiss him for me too. I will. <laughs> one kiss from Rob, one kiss from me. You, you're always so busy. Like you said, I mean, there's nothing, but I, I love like actors who just are actors and they're always doing something. You're like on the sort of Mount Rushmore of that. I'm sure you've got 17 things you're doing now. Tell me what you're up to. Well, thank you for asking. The thing that I'm I'm so excited about, I feel absolutely giddy about is this passion project I'm doing with two of my friends. Um it is going to be um, a podcast about money because growing up as a little girl, I never learned about money and I've always been fascinated about it. I'd be on the set and I'd be like, what, what is that stock doing? What's Lululemon doing? What's Tesla doing? What about real estate? So uh, Jill Lederman, who was the EP of the Jimmy Kimmel show for 14 years and uh, also worked with David Letterman and John Stewart, she and I and Galia Gishan, who is a Wall Street whiz, have joined forces and here's our little flyer. Oh my gosh, look at you. We are called the Fiscal Firecrackers, and this is going to be a podcast. And by the time your podcast airs, this one will be out, Fiscal Firecrackers. You can go to it, download it, and we also have a website. So if anybody has any money questions, I just wanted to create a world where people could go and ask ask any kind of question and be silly, be ridiculous. So I'm the layperson and Golly is the expert. She's the MBA in finance and people can ask questions and we just have a really good time. And Golly's the kind of lady that when she was 19, she was uh, putting tons of money in her Roth IRA. When I was 19, I was buying nipple tape, you know? So yes. this is what we're creating for people. And I'm just, I'm really so excited about it. I'm sort of like tingly all over because it's just about to come out. And um, oh, that's so awesome. it's a big week for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'll be downloading. 
Yeah. ASAP. Fiscal firecrackers. Fiscal firecrackers. It's a great yeah. idea. They should teach that stuff in school. They it's should. Crazy. It's crazy mm-hmm. they teach calculus. God bless all the calculus teachers out there, but we should really know how to balance your checkbook. Yeah, we're we're breaking it down and, and we're making it funny. We're laughing. Um, so that, I'm just so excited about that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us. It was so fun. Thank Yay. you. Thank you to Susan and thank you to everyone out there for listening. Please subscribe where you get podcasts. Give us a five-star review on Apple. Thank you to Susan, Schulte, and Greg, and Joanna, and goodbye for Pawnee. See you next week. Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Stitcher.